Anyway, enough. It's good to be with you. We are, uh, we're going to recap our series in just a moment, but what I'd like to do is I'd like to start by reading our passage together this morning, which is from 1 Corinthians 2, and it's verses 6 to 16. It should come up here, but if you want to grab your Bible, there's also Bibles in the back of the seats as well, if that's helpful to you. We'll read this, um, and then I'll do a quick recap, and we'll dive in together. All right. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, As it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. The person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Hmm. Well, we have been in a series, for those of you who've been around, um, for the last number of weeks looking at this book to the Corinthians, this letter to the Corinthians that Paul wrote. And... uh, Paul has been kind of systematically dismantling the, uh, the ideas of wisdom and foolishness and in many ways he's just been flipping it on, his he- on, on its head of, of how wisdom is understood and what is foolishness as well. And in the opening chapters, in the first chapter, um, it was revealed that God's idea of wisdom in the world is radically different and, and in verse 27 of chapter one, it says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And even Paul is denouncing himself as being impressive and chose to disclose that he came to them as an apostle in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And I was rereading that just this week and and noticing he didn't just say I was a bit nervous about being an apostle. He said, weakness, fear, and much trembling. I don't know about you, but I, I read that and I think if the apostle Paul comes like that, there's hope for me yet. But he says the reason he comes to them in that way is not because um, there's something good about being weak in itself, but it's actually because his reliance, his dependence is not on being eloquent or having superior wisdom, but it's a dependence on the Spirit's power. And so there is this 
understanding that Paul is bringing to the church in Corinth about um, this thing that God has done, this thing that he is doing is about a reliance on the Spirit's power and it's not about how smart or wise we may be. And this was particularly important as Brock has talked about a number of times for the Corinthians because they lived in a culture, a Greek context where wisdom and being able to espouse the latest views and philosophical thought was, was, a, was a highly valued practice. And it was a, a place where there was pressure on the believers there to, 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 to compete, if you like, to, to be amongst the, the crowds and be able to have the latest ideas and articulate it in a really eloquent way. But really he was just coming to them and saying, this is not who you are. This is, not who, this is not the way that God's doing it. His wisdom looks different. His message is Christ crucified, which is foolishness, unless, as we'll come on to see, you have the Spirit of God. And so when we, we land into this, uh, this, this section of Scripture, um, we're, we're coming with this understanding that this is what Paul has been speaking about. And you know, uh, it's interesting uh, I think as you look at Paul's life, you realize that uh, he's a man that discovered that um, he's learned to trust God and that when he does, um, God will show up. God will manifest his power through him. He's discovered that in his life, that obedience to the promptings of the Holy Spirit equals God's power on display. And I think there's great hope for us in that message because it really takes the pressure off. We don't have to be impressive people. We don't have to have the best answers. We don't have to do all of the right things. We just have to learn how to tune in and pay attention to how the Holy Spirit is leading and he's gonna do the heavy lifting. Pressure's off, right? <laughs> I wanna read you a story. I had the privilege of talking with a friend this week um, and she was just relaying to me an encounter she had and then I it was such a good story, I didn't want to mess it up. So basically, I asked her to text it to me. So if it's all right, I'm going to read you her text. But it's a fun story that I think illustrates something of what God is doing even now about how the foolish things, that things look foolish on the surface, actually is God's wisdom. So that, that this friend, was, uh, she, she had found herself in a setting um, one Saturday evening when she was sharing with a group of students and she was just talking about how being in a season of revival and God is moving and people are hungry and searching for the truth and all we have to do is open our mouth. And she said to me, I just said that phrase, all you have to do is open your mouth. Anyway, she, the next day she finds herself in a restaurant and as she's in the restaurant, she sees two young girls about 19 years of age. They walk in and they sit near her table and uh, the Holy Spirit starts to draw her attention to these two young girls and, uh, and <laughs> she hears God say to her, now you open your mouth. <laughs> and she's, she used to relaying to me, she's like, oh great, I had to go and say that. So now I'm having to do the thing I'm telling other people to do. I don't know about you, but I relate to that experience. I've got great advice if you want to hear it. Just don't ask me to do it. So um, anyway, she, I'm ad-libbing now. This isn't in the text, by the way. Um, um, so she just, uh, she sent she was supposed to be beaten and just opened her mouth. And so she nervously kind of approaches them, not knowing what to say. And as I approached them and opened my mouth, Jesus spoke powerfully. He led me to share about her own transformation that happened at 19 years of age and coming to know Jesus personally and that he has, been, has put me on the greatest adventure, better than I could ever imagine. 
I'm reading her words now. He led me to share how to meet him in the word and in the scriptures and asked them, and she asked them in the moment to get their phones out and they eagerly added the, version, the, the Bible app onto their phone. Then the Holy Spirit gave her a picture of one of the girls um, dressing up as a princess every day when she was a girl. Um, and she said that she had done that every day. So this picture was, was relevant for her. And uh, then she just shared how... Um, she felt like uh, this was a picture of how Jesus saw her, that um, dressed as beautiful, adorned, special, and this is how Jesus sees her and, see, and has seen her every single day, that he's her prince and knight in shining armor. He's her protector and has her and is, ha- and is, and is with her and has her, hap- and has her happily ever after. She, this, she just described how this girl was in awe um, and just how tears began to roll down her cheeks as she got to share this with her. And then uh, they asked her to pray and asked her to give her a hug and just this amazing experience. And she said as they left, they literally just skipped off these two girls together. Um, and you know what struck me about that story is Jesus just said to, to, to this lady, just go open your mouth. She didn't know what she was gonna say. Total strangers, you can all relate to that experience, right? Being in a restaurant, imagining yourself walking up to people. God is doing something, and God, I think that, I think that here's what I wanna say about this. Getting excited, I've got too many thoughts in my head. God's doing something new with us. I think we're in a new season. I think that this, this is not new stuff that I keep hearing stories like this trickling in from other places. And I think that God is preparing us for a new season where he's expecting us to be ready to move and perhaps even do the things that we've done before but with different outcomes. God's idea of wisdom doesn't always look like what we expect. But as people who have the Holy Spirit inside us, we can learn his ways and see his power work through us maybe even more than we could ask or imagine. So take a minute, turn to the person next to you and say, obedience equals power. You know, the, uh, I was gonna share some of the stories, but I'm gonna just hold those for now. We've, uh, we've spoken at our Lord's about some prophetic promises that we feel like we've been given as a church that we're living with. And I think we're just, you know, we, we, this kind of example of what I'm talking about illustrates that. And I think that as one of the things I wanted to say as we, as we move into this season as a church is that God is asking us to shift gears um, I believe that he's saying something prophetically to us as we start to pay attention to what is going on ar- around us. You know, I just want to share this story. I can't help it. So we, were, we, we gave some feedback from the youth camp um, that happened a few weeks ago in June. But one of the, my, probably my favorite story of what happened at the youth camp, and this is, again, just to say, this is symptomatic. This is just, I'm just wanting you to feel and catch something of what God is doing. So... This was the first time, to my knowledge, that we had several friends, people in the youth group had invited friends who don't normally go to church, some of them not coming from a Christian background. And so they're in the mix, that we're doing worship, we're doing studying the scriptures, we're praying for one another, we're having lots of fun. Um, and, uh, and, and, these, and these friends of our youth are experiencing this and stepping into it. 
And one girl in particular, we had a time of um, just giving encouraging words, sharing prophetic words, praying together. And one of the students had a word about um, somebody who's um, has been experiencing some difficulties in life and she just spoke about how God wanted to bring his love into that place to disperse some of that um, disappointment and some of that hurt. And uh, as she shared it, a few people responded and prayer began to happen and then this girl who's a guest, a friend um, of one of the students, she kind of slips her hand up and acknowledges that she wants prayer too. And it was just powerful, like a whole bunch of people gathered around her, began to pray. And not only was this girl meeting powerfully with God, she's crying, she's experiencing God's love for the first time, but the people around her are crying as well. There's people that are praying for, and they're experiencing the heart of God for that girl as they're praying for her. These are 13, 14, 16, 17-year-old students who are doing this. God... God is doing something, especially with our youth, and I think it's something that if we can catch hold of and if we can pay attention to, it's gonna multiply. We're gonna see it expand into the community. We're gonna see a knock-on effect. You know, I think that uh, the shifting perspective that I wanted to say, I wanna invite us to ask God this question in this season. Where are you asking me to lift my gaze, Lord? I think God wants to shift us out of So here's the phrase I had this morning when I was preparing was, we're not in the lifeboats anymore, church. We're not in the lifeboats anymore. We're not in a place where we're trying to figure out who we are and what we're trying to do. God's calling us to get in the game. He's got people he wants to bring. There are people in need. There are people whose lives are waiting to be transformed because he wants to bring us. And I think he's already starting to do it. And I think for some of us, you know, I was thinking that we're all in different places. Some of us are kind of excited and ready to run. Some of us are feeling like, well, I'm kind of excited, but I have no idea what to do. Some of us maybe are feeling like, I'm on my knees, Mike. Like, life is just hard right now. But this is a word I think he's giving us as a church body. So God can provide for each of us as individuals, um, regardless of our circumstances and season. And I want to encourage you, look to him this morning. Even as we go through the rest of this passage and we pray and we finish up, look to him. If you're in a place where you're needing a touch from God, you feel the brokenness of your life or of circumstances around you, ask him to meet you. Say, God, I want in on the action. I want in on what you're doing, but here's where I am. Would you, would you do what needs doing to get me ready so I can jump into? Some of you, it's about being equipped and it's about finding places where you can figure out what is my part? Where can I use my gifts? How can I get involved? For others of you, I think that this is about promotion. And I kind of thought, do I say that word? Because it feels a bit kind of, you know, whatever. But I think that God is inviting some of you to take the next step. He's saying there's a promotion in the kingdom that's coming if you're willing to take the step. Some of you have led before. Some of you have served on teams. Maybe it's about God asking you to lead a team. Some of you have been in community groups and maybe saying to you, now's the time to start leading a group. Some of you have led community groups for years. Maybe there are opportunities for you to start helping others know how to lead community groups and coach them. Some of you, it's about starting new initiatives. Some of you, it's about being sent as missionaries. Some of you, it's about getting ready to be planted in another location. I dream about this place being a hub that 
not only sees people encounter God and get healed and discover his love for them, but get equipped and get empowered and get sent to do all the things that God has in his heart for you. Don't know about you, but that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. And I think that's what, he's ha- that's what he's doing right now. And I think if we're brave, we can step into that place with him and trust him for the details. Let's pray for a quick second. Jesus, I just recognize that um, we recognize your presence with us and we thank you for what you're doing. And Lord, I thank you that you know every person in this room and every person who's a part of this community here. I thank you that you know the details of our hearts. You know exactly what we're doing, where we're going, what's going on. And so we just rest in the knowledge that you know and that you love us. And I ask this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would move in this room, that you would bring healing, that you would bring transformation, that you would speak, that you would call, that you would equip I pray that you would lift our gaze and that you would shift us into a new perspective. I pray you'd help me to speak and I pray that uh, you would have your way this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. So the passage, a little bit of a detour, the passage that we are looking at can be summed up really in the essence of it in one phrase. Um, and it's really this. It's the, uh, the, spiritual equivalent, it's the spiritual equivalent of it takes one to know one. So, profound words, right? Takes one to know one. So, the, to illustrate this idea, just roll with me for a moment. So, think of the subject of crime and justice for a moment. Um, it's commonly referenced that in, in that field, or at least to my knowledge, that in order to catch a person who's committing crimes, you must first learn to think like this person, be able to step into their world, way of understanding, etc. Then you can begin the process of working out how to apprehend them. I'm not sure if this is actually how police work is done, but it is on TV, so just bear with the analogy. Um, But it is always reassuring for me, being the person who's speaking this morning, to know that when you have a thought and then you read somebody smarter who knows about this stuff saying the same thing. So I was like, yes, it's not just me making up something. Um, So Gordon Fee, who is a scholar, he he describes that what is going on in this passage as um, is really, it's a Greek philosophic principle. Like is known only by like. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the only one who reveals God's wisdom. God's wisdom message, uh, if you like, the message of Christ crucified cannot be understood without the Holy Spirit. So we need the Spirit of God to understand God. And really that is the heart of what Paul is speaking about in this passage to the Corinthians. He says, whatever you, you, you won't get the wisdom of God unless you have the Spirit of God. And we'll look at this in a little bit more, but that's, that in essence is what we're uh, discovering this morning together. And there's just three brief sections I wanna touch on to illustrate that. In verses six through eight is the first section. You can follow it there um, in, in the verses if you, if you have it in front of you. Um, and Paul is saying here, he says, we do however speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are, who are coming to nothing. Um, No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Um, 
and we're not going to read verse 8 just yet. But who, who is he talking about here? He says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. So he's, he's referring to himself and, and, uh, and, the, and the people who are with him doing ministry with Paul when he says the we. But when it comes to the word mature, who's he talking about? Now later in, in, this, in this letter, he, Paul makes a distinction between believers and talks about maturity and people who are young in the faith and, or immature or, and then people who are mature. But here, in this context, he hasn't got to that point yet. He's actually talking about the believers. He's talking about the people of God. He's talking about the people who have received the Spirit of God. And so this is who they are. And um, then he goes on to talk about the rulers of this age and uses this phrase. And so when, we, when we're trying to understand what is he talking about here, he's really referencing um, a couple of things here. One is that he is making a reference to those who crucified Christ. You can see that later in the verses when he makes reference to that in verse eight. But he's talking also about the influence of demonic powers that were behind that decision in the first place. It's about the influence of evil that, that worked in the hearts of people and the minds of people to bring about the decision to crucify Christ. And, he talks, and we, we also know that in other parts of the scriptures, in Ephesians and in Colossians, Paul um, makes it very clear, makes it very plain that the world is filled with unseen powers and rulers and authorities who attempt to gain power over our lives and against whom we struggle. But I wonder how much we actually believe that sometimes. We don't, I don't know about you, but I don't always act like that's true. That there are these forces, um, demonic forces at work in the world that we live in that are seeking to do these things to us, that are seeking to influence our lives in this way. I like to quote uh, Kaiser Soze in moments like this. For those of you who know the movie Usual Suspects, uh, a famous moment in the movie is uh, the, the lead character Kaiser Soze makes the statement, the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And it's obviously, it's in the movie, but the point for us is this. Sometimes we don't always acknowledge or act like we have an enemy who's working against us. Spending time, let's get real practical here for a minute. Spending time alone with Jesus, quiet time, devotional time, whatever you want to call that, is a battle first with the rulers of this age. If it wasn't, I imagine we'd all do it lots all the time and we'd have these incredible prayer times, right? Because let's face it, we all have great moments, I'm sure. You've all got, you've had great moments in God's presence when you've been aware of his closeness and you've just been in that moment with him and it's like, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. But how is it on, you know, six in the morning or whenever you attempt to spend time with God, how is it, does it feel? What's it like when you start the day? I've shared once before from up here about like, I don't even want to, be nice to my family, let alone talk to Jesus sometimes when I wake up in the morning. But you know, the, the point is, is that there is, if we're discerning that there is a battle going on against us, it somewhat changes the perspective of how we think about that, or it can do. You know, I wonder what it would look like 
if we stepped into that space and we um, began to engage with God in a way, in, in terms of reading the, book, reading, reading the scriptures, of praying and spending time with him, what it would look like in terms of our lives if we were consistently doing that. You know, there are some ways that we can use that time and we can have motivations that are unhelpful. Sometimes um, we get locked up with things like religious duty, feeling like I should be doing this. Um, or there's a fear that sometimes people have of um, God's gonna be angry with me if I don't do this. But that's a view that just, that God somehow will punish you. But the truth is Jesus has dealt with that. Some of us, it's sometimes about feeling like we're trying to earn acceptance with God. But the reality is Jesus has won, um, has won favor with God. He's won a place for us so we don't have to. We get to enjoy it freely. If we can step away from some of those motivations, those uh, reasons for spending time with God and step into a place of um, being with him, there is a connecting that's gonna happen. And as we look at these verses with the spirit of God that's inside of us, that will mean our lives look differently. Let's move on. Mystery, hiddenness, destined for glory. This is kind of the, the language of verses seven and eight. Um, this is important to note. There is, there is something about the way that God set this up that there was an intentional hiddenness about the way that God did not let everybody know what he was gonna do. There was a, a and the language here describes the, that God was setting it up um, that God destined for our glory before time began. So there's even this, not only did he have a mysterious way about bringing his plan to bear to restore the world, um, to bring the world back into right relationship with him, but he's doing it in order that we might be a part of the glory. And he thought about it beforehand. Just think about that for a moment. The God of the universe, not only has a way of doing things that involves mystery and hiding some things and then revealing it at a certain moment, but he's done it in order, uh, he's done it in a way that allows us to share in the glory of it. What does that communicate to us about our value and how he sees us? How might that thought affect the way that you go to spend time with Jesus in the, in the week? The God who created the universe wants to share his glory with you. It's kind of exciting to me. Um, I'll get excited on my own for a little while and then you can maybe think about that. You know, there is a, um, there is a purpose to the hiddenness though, which is helpful for us to understand for what's going on here. That Jesus, you know, that. There was a, we're in this moment now where that hiddenness has been revealed. So this mystery that's been talked about, this message of wisdom, which is, as Paul talked about in the previous chapters, this is about Christ crucified and this being the way that he wants to draw people to himself. There was a hiddenness that was a, a characteristic of Jesus' ministry as well. And he... he, 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 he spoke in parables, he, he left people with a sense of what was going on, but he didn't always reveal it. And sometimes, you know, the parable of the sower gives an example where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he lets them in on the, the plain meaning of the parable, but he doesn't disclose it to the rest of the crowd. 
but it didn't stop the rest of the crowd or many people um, from, from being drawn into um, an awareness of who Jesus is and, and, and believing in him as the Messiah, which I think is helpful for us to know because for two reasons. So even though there is a mystery and there is a hiddenness to the way that God has, has set this up and it requires the spirit of God to reveal it to us, there is, a, there is something that we can do and there is something that people who don't know Christ can do to respond, to receive God and to have the spirit of God. And that's to do with the disposition of the heart. You know, it seems that there is a, uh, there's something that goes on when people connect with their own need for God, perhaps their own brokenness or sin and a dependence on God that draws the spirit of God. And so it's in that place that the, the spirit of God does the work in bringing people into that place of knowing him. The piece about God preparing um, things for us, I, w- I did that in the wrong order, so we just have to, well, I'm gonna move on here because um, I realize that may not have made total sense, so um, let's move on. All right, the next bit is um, in verse eight um, through eight through 10a. And these are the things, um, Sorry, I lost my way. Okay, what am I saying? Okay, verse nine, not verse eight. Let's read verse nine through 10a, there we go. Okay, move on. So, however, as it was written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. So what we've been talking about here is this uh, mystery that God has been revealing, and it's the mystery and the plan that Christ um, was crucified. This has been finally revealed, and these are the things, when it says that these are the things, it's, it's, that's what it's referring to, that Christ was crucified, that God would give his son, that he would die in our place to rescue us from the power of sin and free us to live in unbroken union with him by the Holy Spirit. And as we mentioned, it's about him wanting to share his glory with us. And it's a glory that we can know now, but it's also a glory that will be realized ultimately when we get to the end of our lives. And Paul makes a reference to this in Romans 8, in verse 17 and 18, and that's up here as well. It says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. These things are, uh, these things that Paul is talking about here are comprehended by the spirit of God that is within us. There is a a moment when we will see Jesus face to face that we will experience this glory in its fullness But Paul is speaking to the Corinthians here and he's wanting them to get hold of the reality that, uh, to lay hold of the nature of the wisdom that they have received. Because it's relevant to their context, so this is about them understanding that they don't need to get preoccupied with competing with the other 
um, people in their culture, about the, um, the, the arguments around wisdom, but it's also um, reminding them that they don't need to conform, but it's also that they would see the beauty and the accessibility of it. You see, there's a beauty here in this passage about, um, if you just put the uh, 9 through 10a back up, um, there's a beauty here about this um, the way that Paul has even written it, there's a poetic form that he's using and he's referencing Isaiah 64 verse four and he's quoting from there um, to, to underscore the significance that until now no one has understood fully how God would restore. Even though throughout the Old Testament there were hints, but now, the spirit, um, but now through the spirit the mystery has been made known. And it is important to note that just in the, uh, the, if you actually go back to Isaiah 64 verse four and look at the passage there, you'll see that um, all of that is, is a quote, but then the last line in here um, is, um, it says, okay, right there. So it says in Isaiah 64, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him, which is different from what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Um, and some of the scholars um, will, uh, would suggest that although this could be Paul quoting kind of loosely or paraphrasing perhaps um, from, um, from that last line there, you can get that meaning of, you know, for, prepared for those who love him from, um, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. It's more likely that Paul was using, a, um, quoting from a series of texts that had already been established in that time period of the, um, prior to Jesus coming, the period of history immediately before Jesus' birth. In either case though, the message is clear. God prepared this beforehand. He cared, he had forethought, which gives all believers great confidence to trust his wisdom. And then thirdly, God has freely given us his spirit. And I wanna talk just briefly about this. um, Verses 10b through 12. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Hmm. Paul's encouraging the the church in Corinth to let go of the expectations around them, um, that the world around them will understand by the wisdom that which you live. Paul is saying to the Corinthians that let go of this. Don't hold on to this expectation. Don't try to compete with them, but let God's wisdom come through. He's saying to the Corinthians, without the spirit of God, they do not possess the means. So don't even hold them to that. Like is, on, is known only by like. And Gordon Fee, just to quote him again, in speaking about this, says this. He says, the basis of the argument that follows is the Greek philosophic principle of like is known only by like. That is, humans do not on their own possess the quality that would make it possible to know God or God's wisdom. Only like is known by like. Only God can know God. Therefore, the spirit of God becomes the link between God and humanity, the quality from God himself who makes the knowing possible. So he's saying to them in this, Remember, the Spirit of God is within you. This is how you know God. Trust him for um, uh, the world that you're living in. The, uh, 
the like, no, the like only knowing like is, uh, also gives us an insight into the nature of how God wants to know us. You know, the, the, the reference in the scripture about knowing a person's spirit, um, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them, that's in verse 11. That implies there is an intimate knowledge there is, uh, implies intimate knowledge, like it speaks about motivations and our heart feelings, um, the very core of who we are. And this is uh, a wonderful and terrifying thing when you think about a relationship with God because he's, he's saying that the way that you know yourself is the way that he knows you and the way that he wants you to know him. He's saying that there is this place for you to know him um, that is deeper than just information, that it's an intimate connection with him. God wants you to know him deeply and personally. I asked uh, Kaylee if she would share something briefly. We were talking this week um, just about what it means to experience the spirit of God and to know something about the uh, the, the, the special and, um, and the, the uniqueness of what he's done in giving us his spirit. So would you share briefly? So I'm reading through John right now, and I was reading John 15. And John 15 verse 26 talks about the spirit of God and how it's God gives us the Holy Spirit. But I had this revelation that it's from God. So it's out from God, out from God that we are given the spirit. And so it's not just like, okay, you go, I'm going to send you over here to, to Caden. It's out from the Father that comes the Holy Spirit that he gives us. And so I just had this revelation of like, oh, God, the creator of the earth, out from his person, out from his spirit, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And so I just was like, if I have the spirit of God, the creator, how much more confident and willing would I be? be to say yes to things that he asked me and how much more confident would I be to like walk and say yes and do the things and so I just had this like of course I knew that but there was this new like revelation that it wasn't just like from God but it was like out of him so yeah, yeah. that's good thanks Kelly so how did we have the Holy Spirit he's inside of us he comes from the Father. He's in us. The Spirit of God enables us to understand what God is saying. The Spirit of God enables us to know God. The Spirit of God is the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. The Spirit of God is the one that gives the gifts of God. It, the, the Spirit of God is the one that overcame the world, that overcame sin. I, when I was listening to Kaylee talk earlier this week, what was hitting me was this understanding that do we realize the significance of what it means to have the Spirit of God? And I just want you to think on that for a moment. Think about what it means to have the Spirit of God inside of you. What does it look like? Verse 16 talks about how we have the mind of Christ. The last part of the, the passage speaks about how we have the mind of Christ now, which means that we don't, we, we, can, we don't just get to be able to hear him and, and understand him, but we get to be able to think about, think with him. We get to think in a way that's like him because we have the spirit of Christ within us, because we have his spirit. What are the implications for you 
as you think about that. To have the mind of Christ, to have the spirit of God inside of you. Think about what that might mean for your circumstances. If you're at school, what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? Did you know that Jesus is the greatest mathematician that ever lived? That would have been good news for me to hear when I was a teenager. <laughs> the, um, Jesus is also the greatest business leader. He understands electronics. He knows how to teach. He knows how to parent. He knows everything that you and I do better than anybody else. So when you have the mind of Christ, when we have the mind of Christ, that means that you have access to the one who knows exactly what you need when you need it. And it's not just about spiritual activities, but have you considered that he has a strategy for how you raise your kids that's unique for you? Because it's not just the mind of Christ in a generic sense, it's the mind of Christ coming through you and your spouse. He has an idea of what that's gonna look like and it's gonna be better than anything else. Don't hear what I'm not saying that there aren't useful resources that we can tap into to learn things about parenting or business or education or anything else. What I am saying though is that Jesus himself knows what you need for your life and he wants, to be able to, he wants you to be able to tap into it. He wants to speak it, he wants you to be able to think about it in the way that he's thinking about it and he wants you to know that you have the power to do that and to be successful. Did you know that? I know I'm, I'm kind of preaching it myself here. Like, I have the ability to be the most successful person I can be in everything that I do. You have the same potential. You and I, we can fulfill our potential. There was a, I, was, I heard a story a couple of years ago from a guy called Alan Scott. He's a pastor used to live in Ireland, and uh, he was talking about how he met a guy who, had, who worked in the medical profession. And the guy had a dream once. And in the dream, I, could, I wouldn't be able to do justice to the detail here, but essentially, in the dream, he saw a blueprint of a piece of equipment that related to treatment in a certain field um, for, that people were needing. And in the dream, there was something different about the equipment that he never thought of before, and this was obviously what he did. So he goes into work the next day, works on his plans, talks to some people, starts to do some testing. They make the changes that he saw in the dream, and that has transformed the way that they treat people in that, in that area of um, health. I think God likes speaking to us, and I think he has ideas that he wants to give us. Just recently, I'm totally gonna to put her on the spot. Claire, can I steal you for a second, Westbrook? Tell us about that dream that you got. Can you do that for us? 
up. So we talked about this, her possibly sharing this at some point anyway, so I'm just now accelerating it. But Claire, Claire was given, someone had a dream about Claire, and they emailed it to her. So just tell us what happened. Yeah, so I, a, a girl here, a woman here, I'll leave her nameless just in case. But um, I was currently kind of deciding about some things for the fall, deciding what to do with the kids, Mother's Day out, things like that. Um, and then this friend said, oh, I had a dream about you. And so she emailed it to me. And it was so specific, um, addressed exactly the need, specific to the point of, yeah, and I, I sense that the Lord um, was saying that it's okay to put your kids into some Mother's Day Out programs and that they would be fine and that you could do these other things and they would be taken care of and things would be good and you don't need to worry about that. Um, and, and this is not someone that I do life with often and she would have had no idea. But because of that, that then affected my fall and that's going to affect other things, I'm assuming and hoping. So it, it was such a sweet way for the Lord to be so specific. Um, he didn't have to be that specific, but he was, and that will change the trajectory of what the fall will look like for me. Yeah. So. Thanks, Claire. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. I wanted you to hear that just because it's, it's not changing the medical profession, um, but it actually, as, we've ta as I talked to Claire, it's had a significant impact on how she's feeling about making decisions about what she's doing with her kids and how she's using her time. And my point simply for us is this, is that God wants to speak. God wants you to know that he has a plan. He has, we have this connection with him that he is wanting to bring about that means our lives um, look different, that we can step into the things that he's made us for. All right. Why don't we uh, pause here? Would you guys stand with me? We're going to pray together and close out.